Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 58, the first modern mentor, or as I'm calling it, the return of Reese. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Power of Change Worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. And that's right, I'm here with Jesse Fury, my main man. What's up, Reed? And my new main man, Mm. new friend, Reese Bazan. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Well, uh, we are here today with a three-piece. We've changed the shed quarters around. We have uh, microphones flying all over the place, colored lights blinking, and we certainly mm. are thrilled to have a special guest. We're calling it the return of Reese because he was with us, or with Jesse, year and a half, Jesse, almost two years ago? It that's was right. January last year. Yeah, that's right. We did the Leaning, leaning Into Lament together. That's right. It was a... A sad, it was sad, but an excellent episode. Yeah. I certainly enjoyed. It. I was on a road trip driving, listening to that, and uh, really, really encouraged mm. to embrace both the yeah. joy of life, but also the side of life that demands from us lament and longing. So, Reese, thank you for your ministry, your work. It's and, a pleasure. Well, I figured since we had you live today and we could look and laugh at each other, we'd have a little <laughs> bit of fun with our inner out segment. Uh, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit nervous about I'm this. A bit nervous I like about it. This. You, usually, uh, in or out, you have the option of not answering these questions if you want to stay out oh, I on see. it. Sure, sure. But I'm going to revoke that privilege from you today. Oh, this, this is just in. <laughs> this is just in. In with Reese Bazant. That's right. Interview with Reese Bazant. And so uh, what we're going to do is that I, I'm going to ask you one question at a time and just give you a chance to talk a little bit so our guests can get to get to know you a little bit. So question Ooh. number one. It's our new in or out music. I'm dancing. What is the more non-Australian, Australian brand in America, Foster's Beer or the Outback Steakhouse? Uh, so Foster's doesn't exist anymore in Australia. You're kidding. <laughs> Nor does the Outback Steakhouse, though oh. we do have steaks. Well, it's a tie. <laughs> so they're both... Compl- but we don't, we don't do Bloomin' Onions ever. Right, right. So, mm. so which one is worse in your mind? Uh, certainly Foster's. So Foster's is <laughs> worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Question number two. How did you meet this guy who's dancing like a clown across from you right now? <laughs> Jesse Fury. Nobody, meet- nobody that's listening can hear that unless you say it. I mean, they don't know that I'm dancing like a clown. No one can see that rather than yeah. hear it. Yeah. Right. So I met Jesse through a common friend, Jerry McDermott, who's an Edwards scholar and was teaching at Roanoke College. I was mentoring Jerry at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Or That's not, not or not as the no, case may be. He was mentoring me. Uh, and Jerry is an Edwards scholar and I came to visit him in his home and it was through him and the Edwards reading group in Roanoke that I okay. met Jesse. Sandy Young was a part of that? Was That's right, Sandy Young and BCF. Uh, he was my first connection to Jerry. That's right. Awesome. All right. Yeah, so there's, yeah, so there's, there's a really of- fun so so uh, I was blown away when I got invited into the secret club. Uh, the Edwards Reading Club, it, it, just blown away with the quality, the caliber yes. of pastors and scholars who gather once a month to do a, uh, so throughout the month, they all p- we, we pick something and we read it. I say we, I haven't been there in a while, but... Um, it's uh, extraordinary. It's extraordinary, yeah, it is. It really is, and it's been going for 20 years or something. That's like. right. It's, it's a wonderful way of pastors mm-hmm. resourcing each other. Yeah, so they'll read something, so they may, we, one year we worked our way through the entirety of... Um, uh, the work of redemption, the history, history of the work of, history of, the work mm-hmm, of redemption, mm-hmm. and so you kind of pick a section, and then we rotate around who who leads the discussion that that morning, and so so yeah, that was yeah, the group. yeah sure. That how many years ago was that when you first crossed? Mm-hmm. I think it was fourteen. I think it was two thousand fourteen. Okay, good five years. 
All right, a little bit of help for our American audience. You are called a cannon. Can you tell us what a cannon yeah, sure. is? Yeah, sure. You've got to spell it with one N, C-A-N-O-N. <laughs> I like to think I'm a big shot, but that's quite another story. So a cannon is a person... <laughs> Did you guys? That was a little pun there, guys, if you didn't catch that. <laughs> the subtleties. Uh, a cannon is a person who's on the board of governance of a cathedral. So I'm an Anglican minister and... Uh, you get elected by your peers onto the board of governance, and you get the title canon. So it's a medieval, a medieval title. And is that mainly to do with the facility of the cathedral, the spiritual life of the all of the above? So it, it uh, involves responsibility for the buildings, for outreach, for yeah. the uh, to some degree the preaching program. You preach in the cathedral. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's comprehensive. It, yes, it's a comprehensive board of governance. Yeah. Okay, and to, and to get even more confusing, the board of governance is actually called the chapter. Oh, mm. canon of the chapter. Thank you. There's a hip hop song in that, Jesse. <laughs> Just don't let him dance. Well, you already headed me off on this one, Reese. Calling yourself a big shot. Uh, have you ever fired a cannon? I have not. Oh, no, mm. no, that's mm. not going to go anywhere. Okay. Have you ever had to terminate fire a cannon? Isn't that the same question again? <laughs> One has to do with a physical weapon. The other one has to do with releasing someone from their. Uh, oh, I see. I see. I see. I'm big fun. No, no. Mm, you get elected. Mm. You get elected for six years, oh. and you stick it out. Pretty safe position. Yeah, then. that's right. Like, that's no right. Mm. Getting terminated. All right. My final, my final question for you: Do you have any opinion at all whatsoever on preparation on preparationism? So if the question is, does it take a long time to become a Christian? I think the answer is more and more yes. Mm. It's a technical question, though, isn't it? It is. Well, first define preparationism for us, because I found you on the Wikipedia article on this topic when I did a search of you, and I'm not sure that anyone knows what preparationism is. I don't think I even knew that I was on the Wikipedia article, to tell you the truth. So preparationism is when the minister of a church helps someone who wants to become a Christian become a Christian through three or four distinct phases so that uh, the means of grace are so determined, so clear in a church that only you can become a Christian when you've taken on board those particular means. So I think God can use any which way he wants to make someone a Christian and sometimes it takes longer and sometimes it's shorter, but I'm not... I'm not going to go to the wall for preparationism. I wonder what they quoted in the Wikipedia article. Was I for it or was I against it? Um, it, it sounded like it was something of a historical uh, discussion uh, yes, I think, related I think I to probably uh, just took a, related to Jonathan Edwards an, an, and the controversy yes. about mm. whether communi- communion was a uh, converting ordinance yes, or not. Yes, I see. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know I was on Wikipedia. Well, well, you you not only are on Wikipedia, but even better, you're in the studio with us today. I'm thankful for yeah. it. And uh, so, Reese, you you are a Jonathan Edwards scholar, mm-hmm. but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what you do in Australia. Mm-hmm. Where where are you in Australia? Where where do you work? What do you? So, uh, I I think I know that being a canon is not your full time job. It is not. Uh, so, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, I teach at Ridley College, which is an Anglican seminary. We call them in Australia theological colleges rather than seminary. And I've been teaching there for 16 years. My chief responsibility is to teach church history, but I also teach some theology and Christian worship. Uh, That is my full-time job, and the other things I do are in an honorary capacity. But 
I, I like to say that my lecture work at Ridley is just a front. That's, does that sound, for what? Does yeah. that sound secret underground? Yeah. Uh, so it's a front for leadership training. My heart mm. beats for leadership training. And I get the opportunity to meet the best and brightest around Melbourne mm. each day and invest in their lives. Uh, the lectures are useful in that, but actually, in my mind, I'm doing a lot more than giving lectures, uh, both pastorally and in mentoring and in running chapel every day. Hmm. Hmm. I'd like to go to Ridley College. <laughs> Why don't you? <laughs> Jesse, you already have two degrees, don't you? <laughs> yeah, but what about a third? <laughs> Leadership <laughs> development. We, uh, Dr. Fury. Mm. That has, that's it does, where it's going. That's that does have a going. nice ring. That does have a nice ring. I'm waiting for Reese to award me an honorary degree. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do something first, I I, I, I didn't even know I was on Wikipedia, let alone honoring degrees. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, if you can't do that as a canon, then what's the point? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm an honorary with you. degree of the cathedral. Yeah. Hey, so Reese, um, you know, we, you and I met through a Jonathan Edwards reading group and, and through Jerry McDermott, a mutual friend. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you became interested in Jonathan Edwards. So Edwards is not a common name in Australia. Not a real famous guy in Australia. No, no. So our church history has traditionally skewed towards British church history. So there are schools named after John Wesley. Uh, Methodists were really strong in Australia, particularly in the gold rushes. But Jonathan Edwards was not a known category. Though British. He was British. <laughs> he was British. That is true. Uh, so when I was first looking to my doctorate, I wanted to do something on what the church is. This has been a big theological systematic question for me. How do we define the church? What it What is a church plant? What do you have to do to be a minister of a church? Uh, and I discovered that no one had ever written about what Jonathan Edwards thought of the church. Mm. And the assumption had been that because Edwards was an evangelist or a revivalist that he wasn't interested in the church – and people got what they wanted. They didn't actually investigate, so they thought mm. he wasn't. Mm. He was fired committed. too, right? So and after perhaps he, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. A, yeah, that's right. He'd been fired after twenty-three years of working in the in the one congregation. So I found uh, something that hadn't actually been done for my doctoral work. That is, what was Edward's view of the church? And I discovered a, a rich world in thinking about uh, colonial American Christianity, which has had great pay off as well as I compare American colonial Christianity with Australian colonial Christianity. We, uh, Australia comes 200 years later than the founding of New England by Europeans, but a lot of the same settler issues are present, and now I have a point of reference in thinking about Australia's own history. And, and there aren't many people in Australia who are researching the Great Awakening or 18th century mm. revivalism, so it was a bit of a niche job and that, as well, and that work you've done on Edwards and the Church, you have uh, it has become a book, a published book. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I, I was able to use my doctoral research for a book called Jonathan Edwards and the Church, which is a cool fifty five dollars on Amazon right well, now. Well, you're typing it as we go. It's yeah. it's a bargain. No, fifty five uh, US if you're U listening from Australia. US, that's right. Um, which I don't know what that means for Australia. What is that? Eighty dollars. Uh, eighty dollars yeah. Australian at the moment. Excellent book, though. Excellent Thank you. Book. And, uh, but not your most recent book. Your most recent book, uh, which just came out, Oxford University Press, Edwards the Mentor. Mm -hmm. And as we were uh, driving around, I've been uh, 
Reese is, is in a sense, he's just captive. I, I hold him captive when he comes to visit. <laughs> so I throw him in the car and we get, we go places. And uh, as we were driving around, you were, you mentioned Reese that you uh, you originally wanted to call the book the first modern mentor. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Why why the first modern mentor? What does that mean? So. Originally, I wanted a title that was intriguing. Of course, mentoring's happened through all of human history by Christians and by not Christians. So Edward's mentoring ministry was nothing particularly surprising. That's one of the classic ways that Christians have raised up the next generation of leaders. Mm. But he did it in a new kind of way. He was doing it in a way that even a generation before him failed to do. So he was absorbing new worldviews of the 18th century and applying them to that particular pastoral exchange. So the book, I'm trying to describe mentoring in a in a way that perhaps in popular nav press books or something wouldn't uh, define it as, as the exchange between authority and agency. So authority and agency were really important categories in the 18th century in Edward's day. And if I can use those words to describe what Edwards is doing. He's giving away his authority in order to increase someone else's agency. Mm. He's kind of uh, not just expecting that people will look to him for all the answers. He's actually empowering them in their own leadership, in their own ministry, in a world that was fast changing. So I've used those 18th century words, but there were practices as well that Edwards used that now, people before him might not have used. Now, Reese, when you say the shift going on in worldview, is this where you say first modern, using the term modern yes, in a sense you. of the shift of ideology, uh, John Locke's influence for, on Edwards? What other things do you feel are influence his view of kind of this, um, the higher and the lower, the mentor and the mentee? What kind of ideas was he maybe getting in his book deliveries from Europe that were shaping his his thought. So the word modern we might think refers to what's happened in the last 10, 20 years, but I'm using the word modern in a more technical way, meaning to do with the Enlightenment or from the late 17th or the early 18th centuries. Uh, yes, he, he was wanting not to be formal, so his interactions with his mentees were much more informal he just didn't want them to respect his authority. In, so, term, in terms of a position. Correct. I correct. sit up here, you sit down here. Correct. So he might have been more like that in his church generally. So he preached with a wig on because he held an office in the church and in the community. So he wanted people to know that he had this kind of authority. But with his mentees, it was a really different ball game. He, so, took, he took the wig off. He so took the wig off, at least that. At least that. Uh, but he'd, he he was more of a shoulder to shoulder ministry. So he'd climb up Mount Tom in southern Massachusetts with the guys he was mentoring. His correspondence with them, his written correspondence, actually is a kind of letter that is very different from the letters that were traditionally written by ministers or those in authority. Uh, and he's wanting to highlight the visual in the way he thinks not just about his world but in how he does his mentoring. And even if you look in the word enlightenment, you've got a visual image embedded in it, the nature of light. So Edwards is using visual imagery to talk about what he wants to achieve or what he's doing in the mentoring exchange. So he's 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 using language to draw attention to that, but he's also inviting them to uh, to use their 
their eyesight to see him embodying what it what you know kind of the model is yes. that right so uh Protestants haven't done well in thinking about the beatific vision, mm. the fact that we'll see Christ face to face at the end and we will see him and we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is, as the Apostle John writes. And Edwards uses this as a very powerful way of thinking about daily obedience. So if the goal of the Christian life is to see Jesus, then surely our experience today in some sense should reflect that mm. ultimate purpose. So it might be that the mentor, having spent time in private devotions with the Lord, is therefore aglow with the Lord mm. and that the mentee sees something of the Lord in the mentor. But it's bigger than that too because Edwards thinks that in preaching your job is to give people a vision of Christ. You're not doing it by painting paintings. You give people a vision of Christ through using words. But, but the goal of using words as a preacher and hearing words as a parishioner is actually to see Christ. Mm. And Paul uses this language in Galatians that Christ was placarded before you, foolish Galatians. And the placarding language is visual language, right? How did the Galatians see Christ? Well, they didn't see him because they lived in Palestine and mm. walked with him, but they saw Christ because Paul mm. had preached to them. That's the, uh, the, the idea of mimicry almost, that you know, yeah. imitate me as I imitate Christ, and that, that image is before them in the community of people, even That's the, right. the leader. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, so Edwards is surprisingly visual, even though we know him as a wordy preacher. Hmm. And so he thought it was really important that uh, the guys he was mentoring should have access to his life. Partly socially that was possible because he would have them in his home, and some of them lived up to a year in his home and they had jobs around the house, whether it was chopping firewood or teaching the kids Greek or something, which I assume, Jesse, you're doing with your kids. Of course. But, well, we're starting with Latin. Oh, beg your pardon, of course. <laughs> yeah. It starts with Latin. Yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten the classic grammars. <laughs> uh, so, so, so Edwards would have them in his home and there was life-on-life -life learning, which I think is kind of really effective. Uh, and there were, there were daughters to spend time with as well. Well, yeah. there is that... Yeah. that I wasn't going to draw attention to that right now in this serious conversation. <laughs> Were there arranged Edwards, marriages happening? No. Not quite, no. but Edwards did have eight daughters. Yeah. So it wasn't surprising that some of the young graduates from Yale would come and spend some time in the house. Want to be interns yeah. in his house. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned the letters that he's sending and, and the first modern mentor being connected to the type of letters being more, uh, less of an authority letter, more um, collegial and. Uh, if one were to try to find those letters, now I know that you've been in the crypts and the in the in the in the Yale, the special secret rooms uh, with the Edwards Library, but in Beinecke Library, is that what the name of that library? Beinecke, yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he he he, you you know which bo book to pull on the shelf to open the door for the secret. What? But for for the rest of us, if we wanted to read some of those letters, where would we find them? Volume sixteen of okay. the works of Jonathan Edwards includes all the all the letters we have, so there okay. are none that are not in there, which is a fantastic way of understanding not just uh, what was going on, mm. the details of their lives, but in letters you can see. I, I use the language of pastoral modulation. You can see how Edwards is changing his language according to the person he's speaking to, mm. and that's a really great window into his pastoral ministry. The assumption has been for the longest time that Edwards was a bad pastor because he got sacked. But I think you can actually be a good pastor and get sacked. That is, uh, 
being sacked does not necessarily finally speak about how good you were at your job. He did annoy many of the older men in the congregation when he preached against their greed and they were uh, wealthy mm. landholders who'd promised Native Americans some uh, return on their land but they hadn't given it to them. Yeah. So he, he kind of disappoints the older men but actually the women and the younger folk in the congregation loved him. And his mentoring, irrespective of those congregational issues, his mentoring was uh, well-received and he empowered people ably for their own ministries. Rhys, um, if, if I might ask you, back up a little bit when you talked about the beatific vision, you know, the Protestants lost. I mean, Thomas Aquinas built his whole theological project around it. We have books from other parts of the church like Imitation of Christ. Um, how is how would you say like the Western view of eschatology, the the end, uh, which is far more consumed with uh, trivialities, if you were, um, how does that affect us missing what the what eschatology should do in informing our now? So I think our default in the West, particularly these days, is to think that the end of the world is about me and my soul. Yeah. Uh, but actually, there's a much bigger program of God in this world of which we can be a part, of which the church carries the vision. So I fear that we we take on a platonic view where my soul then ascends to an ethereal region, and that's all there is to it. But actually, God's God's uh, promises and His plans for the world are so much more solid and so much more uh, grand than just involving me and my happiness. That's right. And the beatific vision in some ways encapsulates that. Uh, beatific meaning happy-making vision. The beatitudes are those statements mm. that uh, lead to people's flourishing or happiness. So the beatific vision, the vision of Christ at the end, not only summarizes lots of theology, but it also summarizes lots of corporate experience right. as we gather together before the throne to... Uh, meet and love the Lord. So the end vision is much about more about who we are becoming now, and then God bringing us and the whole cosmos to His determined end. Correct. And in in doing that, we actually have a different participation in it, right? Yeah. That's good. <clears throat> that's not, good. Not about being left behind. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. the Left Behind series. I've never read them. Yeah. Oh, ne- neither Left Behind nor Lord of the Rings. I'm learning a lot about recently. <laughs> yeah. Try C.S. Yeah. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and no C.S. Lewis either. No I forgot Lewis. about this. That was on the last podcast. That's, that's right. the only I remember time I, that now. I yelled in the car, what? Yeah. What? What? what is wrong with you? <laughs> We're going to have an intervention after this. <laughs> We're going to make, you know what? I'm going to make you read some uh, inklings while you're here. Because heaven is a world of love, he will read it then. Mm, mm, so, so uh, why don't you've you've kind of you've entered into some of what you've written about in the book? Uh, I am almost finished uh, and finding it to be a really uh, engaging companion. Uh, I find myself uh, learning a lot, uh, arguing a little bit, just as I do anytime I spend time with you. Actually, uh, so can you give us a, <laughs> just a bit of a of a survey? What 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 is this newest book, Edwards the Mentor? Uh, what what are some of the main points that you're getting at in this book? So if you tried to pluck out the big discipleship or mentoring themes, I'm wanting people to see how intentional Edwards was, that this wasn't a random happenstance. Mm-hmm. This was 
designed for the sake of future generations of believers. So he had a big plan and he saw himself as part of a movement builder. So I want people to think about mentoring intentionally. Pastors say to me all the time, look, I just don't get time for it. I know it's important, but there are so many other things that come up week by week. And I get the busyness and the pressures of pastoral ministry. But actually, if we're not preparing people, preparing our churches for the next generation, if Mm -hmm. we're not actually thinking about who's going to pastor my grandkids, then I think actually there's a certain sense in which that's a pastoral fail. Mm. That I think part of the pastoral part of the job of the pastor is actually to be raising up the next generation of people to be pastors. And we're failing parents in doing ministry that way because uh, shaping children in your own home, if you've never understood what it's been to be mentored in, in what we suffer in with America, my, even my own personal life, never being fathered, right? We, we we handicap folks, and they don't even know. There's something mm-hmm. missing of how to pass on culture, theology, life, character, moral, even quirky traits, right, that we pass on to our children that we receive from mom and dad. Uh, a pastor failing to mentor in the church is failing them, even as parents, and that's kind of unspoken, unseen at times. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you, so you're, you're presenting Edwards as, uh, in some ways, a kind of model for uh, mentoring as— a movement kind of building or movement facilitating uh, leader? Mm -hmm. Certainly that. I don't know that he'd describe, he'd use the language of movement, Mm. but he would, and he wouldn't actually very often use the language of leader. So he'll actually use other images from the Bible to talk about Christian pastors being ambassadors. Mm. uh, He'll use the parables of the landlord being away, the tenants actually looking after the flock in his absence. Mm-hmm. So he, he won't use the language of leader very often, but that's ex- effectively what he's doing. And the further he goes on in life, and the more and more young guys are taking on parishes and taking on churches, his sermons, when they began their ministry, so the ordination sermons, are highlighting more and more the heroic, the importance of individuals to stand against certain tides of history and to promote other uh, movements, so he he might not use that language precisely, but he he's doing that in uh, encouraging people towards ordination and preaching their ordination sermons. Now, I found <clears throat> I found the part where you're writing about the the mimetic way, the uh, the imi- imitation, uh, to be really interesting, and I was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit. So, um, you know, when you Reed already brought this up, where you have Pauline language. Uh, in Ephesians five one, be be children, be imitators of God. Uh, he uses it with himself as well. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We we see the language, uh, and so. But you unpack that a bit with different layers about uh, how this is not just mimicking something. It's not it's not just uh, parroting mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Can you can you walk us through that just a little bit? So it's not trying to copy Jesus. So the what would Jesus do movement mm. is pretty crude in thinking about what imitation is. I tell the story of the largest chain of Christian bookshops in Australia. The most stolen item from their store for a number of years was the What Would Jesus Do bracelets. He would probably not steal the bracelets. He would probably not steal the bracelets, right? Now, now, I I became a believer um, in 1992, and I think the WWJD stuff was kind of around then. Yeah. That was also in Australia. That was a worldwide Christian phenomenon. Certainly. I thought that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) 
It's like I'm not wearing one of those little bracelets. <laughs> sure. The, 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 so that, that's probably not what. That's, that's the probably not the project. Extreme negative yeah, example. Yeah. No, what it means to imitate Paul, or as Paul imitates Christ, is to make sure your life is a series of dying and rising. Mm. That every day you're dying to sin and you're rising to new life. That's ultimately what it means to imitate Christ, and uh, to have a, a cross-shaped life. A, if you want a passionate life, mm. that is a life built on Christ's passion. So that's, I think, the the kind of ultimate point of it. Just like in baptism, you're promising to die to sin and to rise to new life, which is effectively a promise for daily discipleship. That's the kind of picture, I think, that a mimesis or imitation is getting towards in the New Testament. And I think certainly that's in Edward's mind as well. Mm. So there will be some of his young guys who want to preach like him, that is a, a crude imitation, but actually he doesn't encourage that. He chooses mentees who are really different from him. Mm. He's not expecting them to be like him in personality. He actually wants to empower them to do their own thing. And so the two guys, Bellamy and Hopkins, who were his main mentees, who had massive impact in the revolutionary period and beyond, those two guys were vastly different preachers. One was loud and boisterous. One was really quiet and retiring. And Edwards was probably in the middle. I think that's a great picture of him wanting to empower whomever the Lord puts in his path, not expecting mm. that person to be uh, 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 to parrot him. Yeah, and, and today we have such a, well, we think it's a little bit of a problem, celebrityism where certain figures are sure. lifted high within whatever circle it is, not just the church, this is Western civilization in general. And, and then you kind of start seeing people trying to preach that way. And, and I'll never forget when I was a, a very young man preaching on campus, actually on this campus, and my wife was there. And afterwards she said, stop trying to sound like so-and-so. <laughs> And I was like, yes. was I? She yes. goes, yeah, be yourself. Yes. You're going to do better. I'm like, Yeah, I say to the young guys, find your own voice. And I get that there will be powerful models. Mm. And you pick up some of their f their features of preaching right. without realizing you're doing it, right? Yeah. But then you do have to become aware of the the ways in which you could do better if you are more like you. Yeah. Um, which my, I think is my daughter cool. uses the same hand motions when she speaks on like her high school FCA meeting or whatever that I use, and oh, that yes, those I kind see. of things, those dependencies, she just picked up over yeah, the years. Right. Uh, but she's she has her own voice yeah. and her own personality. Yes. I remember when I started speaking with my hands like my German professor did at university, and I realized where did that come from, <laughs> <laughs> um, and kind of correcting myself, and that's okay. I think that's part of what we do when we learn, we imitate, but mm. it's it's deeper than that. Mm. Good. You know, so part of what you're doing with this book is you're inviting us as readers to, uh, in some ways, to look to Edwards as a mentor for our own mentoring projects. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, but, you know, if you read enough Edwards or, or learn enough about him, you learn the same thing you learn about any historical figure, which is uh, he had flaws. Mm -hmm. uh, there, was, there, there are things that you may not want to imitate, that you may want to avoid. Uh, and so I was wondering if, uh, kind of in closing of this conversation, Reese, you could give us some advice as a, as a historian, someone who's who's given a lot of time to thinking about Edwards and mentoring. Uh, how can we uh, be mentored well by flawed people, and maybe even particularly by historical 
figures, right? So whether it be Luther or Calvin or Edwards or uh, Taylor, or we could kind of go down the line. Uh, How do we do that well? How do we make sure that we're um, thinking critical, but not uh, being too critical that we can't have anybody to mentor Mm -hmm. us? If you want to mentor historically or even in real life, in real time, then inevitably they're going to be flawed people. Mm. So you don't have a choice whether you're going to have the flawed (laughs) mentor or the unflawed mentor, right? Edward's basic project was to help people integrate each part of their life with every other part. So Mm. their mind and their heart and their hands, their soul would be mutually reinforcing. Each part would contribute to the other. And Edwards did that reasonably well, and he taught others to do that philosophically and in the ministry model he set up. But that doesn't mean he did it perfectly. But I can imitate that aspiration towards an integrated life, Mm. and we're living in a world that's fragmented and where human identity is kind of uh, has been acerbically uh, reduced. So I think we do want to look to a guy like Edwards who's trying in his own way, adapting to a new kind of world. Uh, for integrated kind of human flourishing, even though he's going to fail us at certain points. Mm. And uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians speaks about our his God's grace being made perfect in our weakness. So the weaknesses of our models actually don't stop God from doing something mm. for them and also through them for mm. us. So we must actually... Mm. I think um, I've seen this several times in my own life and people that I've mentored where they have somebody they really look up to has some sort of failing uh, character traits or moral failings. And there's this crisis moment. um, And I find it's a very teachable moment that we say, Mm -hmm. well, what were we really looking to? Who were we really looking to anyway? And you come to the realization is that I'm looking at people uh, but if we're not seeing through them to the one that we need, right, Jesus himself, who is the completed, the incarnate man, the one who is without uh, sin and flaw, we're always going to be slightly leading ourselves astray if we put those people too high. And at the same time, we can't become cynical, right? This, oh, this guy's messed up. I can't trust anybody. And I, I see that in a lot of mm. young young people today, mm. Jesse. I don't know if you see that. Bernie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or when people who've led someone else to Christ stop being themselves a Christian. Christians, mm-hmm. it's a, a spiritual crisis for the young for the young folk who've been led through them. But that doesn't actually invalidate their conversion, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, I let me ask you this one. I'm, I'm adding a final question here. Uh, I've heard someone give the advice of when we. Uh, when we're thinking about mentoring, that we ought to have uh, at least one living mentor and one uh, historical mentor. So, um, you know, maybe choose someone and just get to know that person, their writings, thinking particularly of a historic mentor. Do you have any advice about that? You know, as someone who has, you have a historic mentor in in a sense, uh, give us some advice about finding a historic mentor. Is that, is that a worthwhile project? If it is, uh, how do we go about doing that? One, it's really important to read biographies of Christians from the past because that helps us to understand that our life is actually the unusual life in terms of world history, that Christians have gone before Mm. us, had it much tougher than us and have survived in ministry or have succeeded in ministry despite the different circumstances. So learning about others' lives is 
It's refreshing for your ministry today, mm. and it's also going to expose some blind spots in your ministry today, and it's going to provide resources for your ministry today which you weren't expecting. So I tell all my students, read a biography, a Christian biography every year. It doesn't have to be the same person, mm. but if you do want to track with one person over a number of years, and that's that's fantastic too. Uh, I don't object to the idea that you'd have a dead mentor and a live mentor, mm-hmm. but don't make the dead mentor default go-to guy mm, because not, he's not the guru no and, and also there'll be some things that you need to have exposed or uh, talked about in real time mm, that, mm-hmm. that our issues our pressures will be slightly different and and they might go unaddressed if you've just got a, a dead mentor sure those those two mentoring relationships would look significantly different yeah, you, you right. can't have much yes. of a conversation with john calvin <laughs> <laughs> I talk back to him quite often, but that's, that's slightly different. <laughs> or Jonathan Edwards. Well, uh, Reese, thank you for joining us. That's great. Uh, it's a pleasure. Reese's hey. new book. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I really appreciate Reese you saying that because you, when you, uh, I've been in and out of seminary doing an MDiv for almost, yeah. almost 20, oh, 20 years. Quite um, a long time. <laughs> quite a long time. Yeah. And what do you, one of the things you see is that those who get obsessed with books, they almost lean into those more than to the gospel community, their local church, where, or even their families that can see where they are, their growth, their progress and grace, mm. and can speak to it real time. And so I think it's more, you know, the, the people that we walk with regularly are going to influence us more, but then the perspectives that are different. Like, I appreciate that you picked someone to do historical studies on as an Australian yeah. who was a pre, you know, colonial British person in North America. Uh, that is something that's outside of your context, outside mm-hmm. of your stream. And so one of the things I was really encouraged by in seminary not too long ago, uh, they asked us to write a historical, pick a historical person. And, and, I, and I picked an African-American because there was none on the list. Mm. And I was like, well, I, I haven't learned from that tradition. And mm-hmm. so this, this gentleman, Gardner C. Taylor, who was called the Prince of Preachers, the best preacher in America by Time Magazine, I had no idea who it was. Wow. And was enriched because yeah. there's, you know, same, he was an American but also different, different experience and different uh, road traveled. So when you pick that historical one, don't be mm. afraid to be Australian and grab a, a North American or, or mm. vice versa mm. from around the mm. great tradition and history of Christianity. Mm. That's good. That's good. Well, Reese, your newest book, Edwards the Mentor, is excellent. Uh, I recommend it if you can pick up a copy. Is it on Amazon? It's on Amazon, right? Surely. It's available on Amazon. Everything yes. is. Yes. Everywhere that books are sold. Everywhere I think that that's books what are he's sold. supposed to say. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Everything, everywhere where good books good, are sold. Good, very, oh, good. <laughs> very good. Very good. And uh, Reese, I'm so, so thankful for you visiting with us. I'm so thankful for you spending time with us here in the studio and the great. shed quarters. Um, the shed quarters is a thing, I gather. It's a thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. nothing more than a thing. It's just it's just a thing. It, it, it became a global shed quarters. Oh, that's right. It's a global shed. Yeah, we are in the global shed quarters. The power the of change. Worldwide shed quarters. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I'm really also excited that you will be, uh, between us recording this and us uh, putting this on online, you'll be speaking at our bon- uh, Bonhoeffer House Conference on Virtue, uh, looking particularly at... Uh, mentoring as a means of cultivating virtue through the life of Edwards and the practices of Edwards. Uh, and then I'm also excited you'll be preaching at Valley Bible Church on Luke 12, 1 through 12. Reed, you'll be there? I am preaching in Northern oh, Virginia near no. D.C. this weekend, but my no. family, I think, will be there. Shout out to Sojourn Church. Sojourn Fairfax. In Fairfax, which uh, which is, Reese corrected me on this, it's not Sojourn, is it? 
Well, go ahead. I, th- I think people who speak ahead. English will actually will say sojourners or sojourn. <laughs> <laughs> you could have said that without the first part. You didn't need the qualifier there. Y- you mean the people who speak English well part? That, yeah, that, yeah, that was the part I was hoping he'd leave off. Uh, yeah, so, so we'll miss you, but your family will be here. Yeah, so, uh, so Reese will be preaching on Luke 12, oh, 1 through 12, and uh, we'll post those in the show notes. We'll, post, we'll yeah. post the sermon, we'll post the, maybe the conference thing, yeah, all your yeah. books. Reese, thank That's you right. for being with us today. Thanks, the Gospel Rachel. Underground Thanks, is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. We only take five stars, but you can do that today. Send your comments, feedback, and questions you might have for us to take up on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope you see you out there. Peace. Say peace, Reese. Peace. Peace.